Classics Fulfilling failed franchises Reinvigorating reviled rehashes It's the follow-up showdown With Paul Getz, Travis McMaster And welcome to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we continue to give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, Paul Getz, and my storm chaser name is Odometer, because I always keep a distance. With me today are my co-hosts, Travis McMaster and Lauren Picorni, or as they are otherwise known in the Suck Zone. It's actually, it's, it's weird because I'm just known as Suck Zone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll, can, I'll be, I'll be, Doppler, I'll be Doppler. Ooh, I love that. So I'm always swinging in a circle, making beeping noises. <laughs> like, <laughs> Doppler. Uh, if this is the first time you're joining us, the way it goes is we take a movie with either no sequel or a sequel that is in it for the money, not the science, and go around pitching our own individual versions of a better one. And on special days, when the sky is green and the rain falls sideways, we do this with a guest. Today, that guest is an unscripted television camera person and producer who also happens to be my BFF from college, Dustin Weisskopf. Dustin, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, quite well. Quite well. And the movie we'll be talking and about... Oh, sorry. Please, go ahead. Well, you can edit this out, but I just want to say hi, uh, Travis and Lauren. Nice to meet you. Hi. Paul, well, you know, you've known him longer. He's extremely... Um, selfish and just <laughs> wants what he wants. He won't do the niceties like introduce strangers. And I apologize. I do apologize. We did not do our normal formalities before starting the episode. Uh, I tried to roll into it a little bit fast today. I'm, I'm, I have work <laughs> after we record. Yeah, so. no, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know it's hard to, hard to wrangle. I'll focus. I'll focus. The movie we're talking about today is a favorite of Dustin's, though I'm not completely sure whether that's in an ironic sense or not, 1996's Twister. So, Dustin, what's the deal? Why, why, why do you love this movie so much? Uh, you know, you, you said it best. I am also not sure if it's ironic or yeah. not. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it truly, the, the feelings inside my head on this one waver so much. Uh, but it is a movie that I, as a, as a 12-year-old, burned out the VHS mm. watching over and over and over. You must have been really excited that it was the first movie released on DVD then. Indeed. Ooh. Yes. That's that's one of my favorite Twister facts. <laughs> and no, no film better than 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 this uh can we say technical achievement <laughs> to to make use of that that new high hi-fi technology. Apparently it was also the last movie released on HD DVD before that went by the wayside. It's probably a name for that kind of Tragic irony, right? Oh, was it tragic irony? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, before we uh, roll into this any further, it is time once again for A Minute with McMaster. A Minute with McMaster. Dustin, since you're such a Twister fan, I did want to offer the minute to you if you've no, I'm I'm too close to the subject. Okay. Please. <laughs> All right. Well, let me know when you're ready. I think I can do it, Coach. Okay. Put me in. All right, and go. Okay. So, Bill Paxton 
and Helen Hunt are divorced, have been for a while. Uh, they are storm chasers. Bill is showing up with his new uh, fiance, the girlfriend from the Lost Boys, whose name I can't remember. I'm sorry. Because um, he needs Helen Hunt to sign the divorce papers. Finally, when he shows up, she's being very standoffish. There's still love there, I think. Uh, and she reveals to him that their child, Dorothy, a sensor dis- uh, dispersing robot, is is finally been actualized. And then then Bill gets caught up in it, and they're all off uh, in tow with the best ensemble cast maybe ever assembled in modern times to chase the storms and see if they can get Dorothy off the ground while getting the divorce paper signed and moving on. But then, uh-oh, it's the rich kid storm chasers from the other side of the lake. And they're here with their black cars and their joyless science. And now it's a race because they've stolen the designs for Dorothy with their own heartless that's, Dorothy uh, cold. That's your minute. <laughs> yeah, well, that was, that's about it. I mean, I guess that you didn't miss much. They they survive all the tornadoes. <laughs> everybody, everybody <laughs> involved survives the tornadoes, except for two of the evil. Well, yes. Except for two of the bad guy scientists. Well, yes. Poor Eddie. Oof. He he had yeah, know, right? every Great single guy. line he says in right. the movie is, is in Bill's favor. Yes, the head minion of of the evil Carrie Elwes character, Dr. Jonas Miller, correct? correct? Yes. His final stand against his bad boss is while they are being warned to stay away from the tornado that's about to suck them up, he says Maybe we should listen to him. He would never lead us into harm. <laughs> Which and Carrie Elway said, "My father paid good money for this tornado, and we are flying our Mercedes into it." And then, and then Eddie is the one just horrifically yes. impaled. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that he gets the quick death, and and Jonas yeah. has to fly yeah. and then the be thrown to the ground in an explosion. I appreciate the good taste of not cutting to inside the car to show Carrie Elway, like, pissing his pants and stuff. We just, like, we're outside the car, and we all know what happened, and Well, I will say, I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead too much to bring this up now, but I will say this watch through, I really don't think Jonas is that bad. I, he's, I mean, he's a jerk. No, he's a jerk, and he doesn't have instincts, <laughs> yeah. for sure. He the, stole their uh, the, the thing. The thing that always gets me though is the is the that, that line he's in it for the money, not the science. Is funny to me because I if you if you research it, he's actually working on behalf yeah. of uh, Oklahoma Polytechnic yeah. University. So yeah. I think what Bill is saying is you have to be absolutely punk rock and DIY about storm chasing. Or <laughs> yeah, you're that's not what legit. I'm too. I'm like, all he did was find funding for his research. That sounds smart. And Travis yeah. called me a consumerist. All the cutbacks they do to the people that are funding him, they all seem like very earnest, hardworking people who are really just trying to, you know, make some breakthroughs in the weather warning system, you know? Yeah, weather weather NASA was just trying to save lives. They had no idea the sharks (laughs) and the jets were fucking sniping each other in Oklahoma over it. (laughs) I'm just sick of these these rich scientists, and you know who you are, (laughs) coming in here and doing the work, but joylessly. Okay, so I'm trying to, I think, uh, uh, anything else left in the minute that to be addressed, Bill and Joe, their names Bill and Joe Harding, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt, they do get back together in the course of this 24-hour period, 
in which there yep. are six tornadoes. <laughs> Very active season. The, the weirdest thing is I'm not even that upset about it. Right. <laughs> which that is Jamie Gertz's line. That's the actress. Jamie Gertz plays Jamie Melissa, Gertz. Bill's new fiance, who he abandons over and over again throughout the movie. And then yeah. she just kind of lets them get back together and goes home. It's a tidy movie. It's a, it's a neat and tidy movie. Yeah. Because of that aspect of it, I was certain that this movie would be written by just a dude. And that's not entirely accurate. It was written by Michael Crichton. Uh, this was one of the... I was very surprised to see. Yes, this was one of the, I would call it a handful and a half uh, scripts that he actually penned himself. Uh, other examples of that would be the original Westworld and the pilot to ER. Um, and then the, his co-writer was his wife at the time, Anne-Marie Martin, who has never written before or since. She was an, she's an actress. One and done. So I would say, I would say overall, the, <laughs> the, the misogyny of Michael Crichton tracks. <laughs> yeah. <here>. <laughs> Although a, a, a young, a young mid-90s Joss Whedon did punch this script up. Yes, Joss Whedon was the first uh, a writer to come in to do punch-ups. But apparently there were two others. They, these punch-ups were happening all the way into production. These continued daily on the set. There were writers called in wow. to punch up the script. Jeff Nathanson uh, was the second, uh, the writer of Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal. And Stephen Zalian, who is a powerhouse writer, he wrote Awakenings, Schindler's List, Gangs of New York, and most recently The Irishman. All right. Well, right. what happened? Let's, let's see him write a half hour sitcom now. Fair point. Maybe, maybe the problem was the uh, different sensibilities bouncing off of each other. What problem? The problem with Twister? Yes. Oh, there's, there are no problems with Twister. <laughs> so those are my writer's notes. Oh, with the exception of that it was Steven Spielberg's idea to kill off Joe's father in the opening scene. Apparently, he too would have survived were it not for Spielberg's influence. But then he, old, he, he also would have survived had he taken three steps back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that Steven Spielberg comes in just like, I imagine, perpetually still hot off of his sore childhood where his, his parents got divorced. He takes one look at Twister and he's like, kill my dad. Kill the dad. <laughs> <laughs> he takes out his own checkbook and he's like, how yeah. much to kill the dad? How much to reshoot this? All right. Well, so then moving into... The director's notes, and I feel like we're going to end up spending a long time here because this Jan DeBont guy, what an interesting cat. Oh. Is, is it Jan? Oh, maybe it is. I'm it's so sorry. Jan? I, I didn't, I didn't double check that. We'll, we'll stick with Jan. Jan DeBont. Pretty far down the line of directors uh, offered this movie, Spielberg being the first. But the reason that he signed on was given the rapid rise of CGI back in 1996, he saw this as perhaps the last opportunity to, to direct a large-scale film with practical effects. Some pretty incredible feats there, it, it would seem. Real tractors dropped from the sky. Like, a big priority for him was getting the real reactions for on the actors' faces in the action shots. And that was sort of his claim to fame, both in this and speed. But... God bless, uh, God but as the flip side of the coin here, it sounded like there was a lot of issues. Uh, actors getting their eyes burned. Uh, Helen Hunt being Ugh. slammed in the face with a car door. Happened on Mad About You a lot. <laughs> but that was just Paul Reiser's uh, favorite <laughs> Yeah, issues issues with the Oh, crew. you're talking about Yonda Bob. <laughs> or Mad About You. <laughs> 
and then separately from that, it sounds like Jan de Bont, uh, not necessarily the easiest director to work with uh, otherwise. The crew was said as saying that he didn't know what he wanted until he saw it. Uh, there was a point at which the crew walked out when he pushed a camera assistant to the ground for missing a cue. Uh, yes, I, I heard it was for walking ah. into a shot, which as a camera assistant, I, I, I believe, <laughs> but that's what Mr. Bont said. <laughs> Yeah, the entire crew walked out and actually the, the DP was replaced at that point. And, and then that guy, uh, was injured by like a, like a beam falling on his head. And then, and then DeBont finished the final two or three weeks of shooting himself. Now, I don't, you know, perhaps it is because of his own experience that he doesn't think workplace injuries are a big deal. Because before he was a director, Jan Deban was a cinematographer on such movies as Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, and very famously, the movie Roar, famous for being one of the most troubled and dangerous, harmful productions of all time, in which Jan Deban was scalped by a lion who bit him on the head. Uh, and he continued on with that production for the rest of production. Wow. Well, the words were behind him, surely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, he apparently doesn't care much for scripts. He, uh, he's quoted as saying that his biggest problem with Twister is there's too much exposition. He wishes he could cut out, but the studio wouldn't let him because they weren't used to making movies like that. In the studio's defense, they didn't know what it was like to see a twister miss this house and miss that house and come after you. Oh, just the quotes. All day we could go with the quotes. I really like Twister. You didn't ask me, but I also, re not as much, not as much as Dustin clearly, but I... I, too, was there in the 90s, swept up, swept up. Uh -huh. I made a joke for you, swept up in the sock zone. Yes. It was a staple. In oh, interesting. See, well, this was, I had not seen Twister until Dust Dustin showed it to me in, that was probably post-college, right? Good Lord. 2010s, perhaps. I remember not seeing it because my dad said it was stupid. And I feel like that's going to be something that gets quoted on this show a lot. Um, <laughs> he said it was stupid and specifically complained about the ending where they are in the middle of the tornado and a belt saves them. Yeah, um, I, had, you know, I had brought attention to that, too. I feel like they would have been uh, ripped apart with a 300 mile <laughs> But you know, you uh, you fudge the details. I, I strongly recommend. Mother is very strong. Uh, be, being eleven years old when you watch Twister, because that, for me, more than anything, <laughs> really sold the experience. <laughs> I mean, I think my problem is less about the uh, the wind force and more about the debris that would that, that would tear debris. Into them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying lines is <laughs> is all we need for this podcast. Um, I have not seen it for a, a while. Um, it it felt it felt comfy. It was nice to watch again. Oh yeah, I, I, I will say the, the the practical effects have, have aged well. Yes, not mm, much in this film looks dated. Um, they could have shot more real tornadoes, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. some cars fly a little slow. But overall, nine yeah. out of ten. <laughs> Nothing stands out like like terribly. Satellite comes to mind. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that that was <laughs> the tough that start. was weak. Yeah. But I think I might be willing to watch two hours of just a helicopter camera swinging over a field, meeting up with a convoy of cars. Yeah. Very. Oh my god! That the 
the opening shot in this film is so uh-huh. beautiful. If you watch it's it first, it follows Helen Hunt's team tracking perfectly and then j- perfectly timed catches Jonas's team uh, going uh, perpendicular. And then a crop duster flies through because they just uh. why not hire an airplane to. Well, see, and that's, there are so many spectacular shots and so much stuff done well. Uh, I mean, all the set pieces are really, really rad. I, it, it, it is a shame that more attention wasn't paid to the content of what the story was because the actors are giving a hundred percent. The director, uh, for his own style is giving a hundred percent. I, I, and I guess, uh, all the, uh, punch up writers were, were, Trying their best. It just, I feel like if more attention had been paid to that aspect of things, this could be a seminal classic. It is a seminal classic. Okay. <laughs> I disagree completely. I think it is uh, perfectly serviceable for what it is. I think if you dress the story up of the moonlighting meets storm chaser movie too much, it's going to get too big for its britches and we're going to have a hard time. You need the script to be a little bit simple and dumb so that everything else can like elevate it to this amazing level. That's not getting like too pretentious for itself. Well, one thing that I think is interesting, especially because Joss Whedon worked on it and we all know his reputation for killing characters you love. I already mentioned this before, but you have such a huge cast, huge to the point that it's questionable whether you need all of them. There's 10 people on that team and none of them die. There's never like you are. It it is clear that tornadoes are dangerous, but none of these people pay the price. They're good at their jobs. Well, they all stay away, (laughs) I guess, with the exception of Bill and Joe. They always hang back. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Preach preacher comes closest. He gets wanged in the head pretty hard by like a a hubcap, Mm. I think. Flying through. Yeah. He's too crazy to die. Uh, oh, <laughs> but it doesn't. It seems he doesn't even have a concussion afterward. No, he's good. Um, I he's just. Like I did that. want to bring this up. I tried to keep track of all the team character names, but there's one that I missed. Um, uh, Sean Whalen. What you got? The guy who played Frogert on Lost and the the fan and that thing you do. Uh, is he the guy who rides with yes. rabbit? The guy is with he the, the guy who drives hat. rabbit's truck. His name is oh, Sanders. Sanders. This is wow. Sanders. This is Sanders. Oh, okay. That's him. Oh, wow. well done. That's impressive. That's it's, very it's impressive. He, he, that guy is also, if you guys remember, the the original Got Milk ad, uh, <laughs> where the guy has to uh, answer a, like a radio contest I love that question. Commercial. And he's Aaron, uh, peanut Aaron butter. Bird. Yes, yeah. That was directed oh, by Michael oh. Bay, by the way. Wow. That commercial. Wow, look at you. Is this? Do you only know this because of Twister? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Everything everything comes out from this. I am not a student of film. The only other two things I kept track of, one at your request, Dustin, I counted seven Christs said by Bill. <laughs> Christ. I mean, Feels like a more. couple of them are Jesus Christs, but I counted those as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. And then the other thing I kept track of was the, the types of tornado that they name. And all I got was Sidewinder, Sisters, and Jumper. Did, did, was there any that I missed? Hmm. Squirtle? <laughs> <laughs> I did want to bring up, in, in, while we're in the, under the mm-hmm. directing umbrella, I super love the scene where everyone is playing their own music, and as the music gets turned on, they just mix them together, so you've got, like, 
whatever rock song um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's listening to, plus the William Tell Overture, plus Oklahoma, Oklahoma all mixed together mm-hmm. in an appropriate way. I love that moment so much. It's so exciting and cool. Back to my point, and I feel like I have to overall disagree about... I mean, yes, the mo- the script can be stupid. I just think it could be less stupid because they do so many things. There are two. Exa- I, I don't remember what the I don't remember what the first one is, but there are two shots that I noticed that are transition shots. The direction of the shot shifts into the beginning of the next scene. One of them is a shift to the Shining playing at the drive-in, but they are two of the coolest transitions like I've ever seen in anything. So. The attention to detail with how this movie looks and how this movie was made, I, I just think it's a shame that 100% wasn't put into every aspect. I guess maybe a, a movie called Twister could never be one of the greatest of all time, but maybe it could have. That's your trade-off when you hire a DP to direct a film. I, you, you get something beautiful that, mm. that doesn't have a lot of depth because it's just shots. I don't know, guys. I think I'm agreeing about the quality of this movie. So I think it's really cool. It's a little simple. I, I agree it's a little simple and, and stupid and she just, they're getting married and then she's like, no. This is so yeah. cool. Joe's so mean to me. <laughs> in in that regard, I don't think it passes the Bechdel test, for sure. Like, I don't think there are any well, scenes of women not talking about not just men, but Bill exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> I think that test is a bit overrated. I will say that there are other things that they give to Joe that I sort of didn't remember and didn't expect that make her a dynamic and cool character. I think more than anything, what is missing for me is the threat level, only because everybody's okay all the time. That's not the kind of movie we're doing, Paul. We're having some fun, okay? I mean, Jurassic Park kills people left and right. That gets roughed up pretty bad. Joe's dad died. (laughs) Yeah, uh, only because of Spielberg. Who who directed Um, Jurassic Park, Paul? He likes killing. He's a killer. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Kill, please. Please, DeBont. You killed Dennis Hopper and Speed. Paul, how many people did you die? Well, yeah, he kills the bad guy every time. Oh, yeah. Oh, he killed Jeff Daniels and Speed. Okay, uh, wow. Did you hear Paul's tone? He was so personally offended that he killed Jeff Daniels. Well, that, no one in that hurt. I mean, Jeff, why you gotta kill Jeff Daniels oh, and no one in Twister? Okay, you know what, Paul? I have a question for you. Who in Twister are you killing? Who will satisfy your bloodlust to enjoy this movie more? Okay, some easy kills to make. Joey, who you forget is in the movie a lot of the time. Wait, which one uh, Joey? Joey is uh, played by an actor named Joey. He's the guy you saw in every 90s sitcom that has the hairline oh. that's really curly but starts halfway down his head. From the new guy, yeah. You mean the single guy? I did mean the single guy. That's so embarrassing. He's an easy kill. Haynes, I thought, like, she was cute and spunky. I wanted to know more about her. They didn't really the give her anything. Woman. <laughs> well, that would make it sad. That would make it extra sad. Oh, boy. Why not her partner, uh, Belzer? Belzer got used a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so there, there's, uh, there were there always stakes if you kill him. Yeah, I oh, we lost Belzer. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't like this game because I, I love everyone. <laughs> but since we're playing, I would kill Lawrence, Mr. Jeremy Davies, who I recognize Ooh. from Hannibal, because um, he was scared in the little jeep thing, and and Joe, like a hero, got him out. But like maybe we fucking kill. And he also left <laughs> grass in the camera. <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you pulled that fucking map, too. In fact, let's go get him. 
Yeah, yeah. He 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 was the mistakes guy for sure. He should have been the one. <laughs> I'm going to the IMDb right now, and this movie is such a gift. It so many years, decades later, it keeps giving. Anthony Rapp is in this movie somewhere. As I, someone I, I, I missed him. I, I will tell you where he is. So there's the scene in the beginning where they, you know, they they get word, I guess, of a tornado, um, and, and, and they they go to go to catch it, and they're trying to beat Jonas's team, right? And, and mm. then Bill gets run off the road by that big van driven by oh uh, my god Abraham Ben Ruby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then inexplicably, they're all at a gas station. They, they didn't, I don't know what happened to the tornado, but they all stopped to get pie or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, Jonas is giving his TV update, explain and, and showing the world dot three. And, mm-hmm. and the, you know, Bill comes up and knocks his hat off and says, you son of a you bitch, s- you slime. Yeah. So in that scene, you have both you have both Jake Busey kind of just grinning like Jake Busey in the background, and behind him, inside the van, is is Anthony Rapp. That's why I didn't notice Anthony. As I was, you're just your eye is drawn to the beacon that is a seven foot tall, blonde haired Busey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, apparently, the movie was originally an R rated movie, and they edited it significantly to make it a PG thirteen. But a lot of the scenes that end up on the cutting room floor were of Jonas Miller, I guess, cursing up a storm. And same with Philip Seymour Hoffman. They were apparently the potty mouths of the film. Well, that brings me to a question. Um, I hadn't seen this in a while, but in the first time we see Joe, we had the captions on and it says that she says, fuck, this thing is useless. But I did not hear her say fuck. And I don't no. recall her ever saying that. There's a known <laughs> thing that she does say it. And they, she, you even watch her mouth say it, but they just cut the audio. Um, That's what I thought. Yeah, I um, I really argued hard against this with Lauren last night. So I gotta say, I am uh, I am hat in hand right now. I just got no ground to stand on. I uh, really pushed back. I think I was making stink faces at her too. <laughs> <laughs> um, re- real quick regarding that PG thirteen rating. As far as I know, this is the only film that the MPAA gave a rating of PG thirteen for, and I quote: "Intense depiction of very bad weather." Yes. Very often we saw that before too. (laughs) The tagline of this movie, the dark side of nature, but I I uh, sort of thought the the tacit agreement was that nature was gonna just be nature and it was our job not to assign morality to that. (laughs) Sure. Yes. But yeah. (laughs) But this nature's main. Um F5. But the original tagline for this movie was it sucks. Um, I see see exactly where the creative team picked that line and I see exactly where the marketing team went I see a problem with it that is awesome yeah Yeah, I really wish they would have stuck with that maybe that would have bumped it up to Jurassic Park level anyway Laura Dern dinosaurs well speaking of Laura Dern moving into the actors uh, she was offered Joe Harding she passed as for Bill, Tom Hanks was cast and Ooh. did a read through with the rest of the cast and chose and approved all of Bill's wardrobe before leaving the film. Bill Paxson was ultimately put up by James Cameron. He was suggested by James Cameron as a best bud. Yeah. Yeah. I can't see this film with Tom Hanks. I know. I can't see I it with anyone can't. else, but I really can't well, see it with Tom Hanks. Uh, well, obviously. Tom Hanks is never the wrong answer, but maybe we can say Bill Paxton was 
closer to the right answer. See, I think when I think Tom, when I come close to thinking Tom Hanks is the wrong answer is in a place like this, like the Da Vinci Code movies. Mm. An action lead is not his bread and butter. And nor is it uh, what Bill Paxton is known for. I'm just glad Bill Paxton has this because he slaughters it, Mm. in my opinion. Dustin Davis, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, was originally offered to Garth Brooks, who passed. Thank God. Shame. That is so interesting. That ha- that had to be like on the heels of that weird when he was when he hosted SNL in the nineties, and people decided for some reason that Garth Brooks was funny. Garth Brooks was funny. Did he? Was he in movies? No. Yeah, I can't think of, I mean, maybe, <laughs> not that I've seen. Um, um, that makes sense. I did read something uh, last night uh, that Garth Brooks passed because he wanted to be the star of the film. Oh. And I, I, I didn't understand that even the context of what I was reading. I thought he meant he wanted his music to be the star, but he wanted to be the star. Wow. That's cute. Oh, you know what? He he has done some acting, obviously, mostly like himself or ironically in pop star or whatever. Um, but he did play himself on one episode of Mad About You. Oh, so maybe oh. interesting. So maybe he was looking to, uh, maybe he and Helen Hunt are buddies and they were looking to work together. Could be, could be. A lot of TV to movies and vice versa connections in this. Like uh, Abraham, what's his name from ER? And Ruby? Yeah. Anyway, the final actor that could have been note that I have is that Dr. Jonas Miller was offered to Christopher McDonald, who chose to do Happy Gilmore instead. And boy, am I glad. Not only because I think Curiel was as well, but because uh, Shooter McGavin is one of my favorite characters ever, probably. Very good in that. Um, yeah. I, I have a reason why I would be, I would have enjoyed seeing him in this movie, because um, he would have been on the bad guy team. Um, and on the good guy team, we have Alan Ruck. Now, the thing is, both of these men have been in high-ranking officer positions on Starship Enterprises. Starships Enterprise, rather. So it would have been neat to see them in a different franchise going head-to-head as enemies. Mm. This is a change only for Travis. This is just for me. And <laughs> yeah, that's for me. Say, yeah, but great. Talking about Bill Paxton slaughtering this role, I think I could do a podcast just on the line. Looks like we're going in! <laughs> before this viewing i just love that delivery because you never get a delivery like that where the voice cracks but it seems purposeful and it's awesome it's also a funny line it's also a funny visual because then they drive through an entire house but i also this time saw the nuance in it because his character's scared like that's the sequence in which he's overwhelmed joe is guiding him through all of the following debris that is uh, tractors and houses and, and, and yeah. semi-trucks. Because they don't have any other choice. Great movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I do have a little uh, fun fact. That house was uh, hand um, animated onto the film. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? It was a- that's what they said, and that that's pretty neat because it, it looks good. It looks like a practical house. It really does. I'm very surprised to hear that. It, mm. it really does. Yeah. 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 Uh, my only, I guess, fun fact, uh, when Alan Ruck is um, mad about his maps being folded, he says that there is a big crease right in the middle of Wichita, which was exciting for me as okay. that's where I was when I watched the movie. 
Um, so I was like, that's me. I'm in the movie. I also really <laughs> like that that character exists. He's very front and center and he, he just is in charge of navigation. And to me that that's like, that's really fun. Well, I appreciate that you saw what his role was. I didn't understand what most of them were doing. Right. I, Whereas it, yeah. he was very clear. My most recent watch was the first time I actually managed to just place each character in their respective vehicle. The the, the blue van, which is Belzer and uh, Haynes, uh, Haynes, they have some sort of Doppler device maybe on top, so they do some they do some weather tracking. Dusty, it seems, also has all the computer equipment in his van. He does radar and what have you. The one I really can't figure out is Preacher, and I think he's just some guy who's in it to to feel it. Like he he understands the names for the tornado and why they do what they do. Like he he knows the vernacular. You know, I, I always felt like that's what his deal was. Mm. Look, Joe hired what? him for part time work, and they just started showing up. I think they get paid in adrenaline. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. They are junkies, essentially. It, it, they act very much like addicts. And I would say probably a, another reason to have Preacher on the team is they like the gravitas he brings by saying things like the finger of God. And <laughs> yeah. stuff so like he that. is the preacher. Yeah. He is the spiritual core of the team. Yeah. That, the actor who plays Preacher it. is actually named Scott Thompson. Not that Scott Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> That's his full name. Of the New England, not that Scott Thompson's. <laughs> For Haynes being the one who I felt like they gave the least to, I did like that they gave her that little nugget of being the best at making the aluminum can fans at the end. She oh, seemed to be the one leading mm. the charge in that. The subtle bloodying of the fingers. Um, it's good yeah. storytelling. I absolutely hate looking at it every single time. <laughs> Just to real quick go over a couple of other sequels that exist. Um, not many. There was a pinball machine <laughs> and oh. there was a universal theme park ride, Twister Ride It Out. Travis, I'm sure you have firsthand experience with this ride. Tell us what you can. Travis describes a theme park ride. Travis describes a theme park ride. Well, okay, so first of all, uh, it's important to stress that calling it a ride is stretching the definition of the word beyond its generous limits. Um, it doesn't mean that it wasn't a wonderful experience. It was a little bit of a B or C list attraction when you would go. You know, it's not it's not Men in Black, but it's maybe a step above the Beetlejuice Rock and Roll Show. Mm -hmm. um, it's not there anymore, by the way. They replaced it with um, some Jimmy Fallon ride. Mm -hmm. So have fun with that, Florida. Uh, what you would <laughs> you would walk through a, a, a needlessly long series of hallways because they're just adapting whatever building they already had, um, and then you go into a big giant queue, or uh, excuse me, big giant room. Part of the queue is this big room, and then you watch these screens of Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt on. I, I almost said the set of Twister in a field. Um, and they're just talking to you about the movie very seriously and explaining somberly what tornadoes are. Notably, though, Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt hated each other. They did not like working together. So on this theme park ride, they are shot separately. And it is the funniest thing to watch because they'll be on like one TV screen on one side of the room. And then Bill Paxton will say something. And then he'll just turn and look to his left for like 15 seconds. They like just <laughs> record looking to his left. So he could look at Helen Hunt while she speaks. It is awkward and bizarre and a big part of my um, Orlando childhood. 
Uh, so then after that, you walk through more queue, which is very cool. It's dressed up like you're like kind of Meg's house. It's like the inside of a tornado wrecked home. Nice. Um, so you just go through all that. And it's almost like a Halloween Horror Nights maze. It's very spooky almost. Um, and then you come out to the actual attraction part of the experience, which is just that drive in uh, scene hmm. um, in, in a sort of in a sort of I don't know what scale it is. It's a miniature. Obviously, it's not an entire drive in, but it's fairly large. Um, and then you go in and you stand on a porch, basically, and you just, you sort of, you kind of, you just watch, you just watch that scene happen, but in real life. So there's like a little tiny fake dusty tornado and uh, hmm. a cow, love the cow, oh, uh, nice. you know, and then if you're standing on the front part of the porch at a key moment, it will go and lower like an inch and then everyone goes, Oh, oh, oh ooh, that scared me. <laughs> Ooh, that was fun, huh? Are you okay? Um, and then it's over, and then you go into the gift shop. Sounds um, all right. So it's all on. It's, it's not bad. Like I said, I would you would usually not maybe every time go. It's not an ET attraction, but it was. You would do it. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Uh, the other sequel thing worth mentioning is that apparently in uh, one of the expansions of Skyrim at a tavern, one of the bartenders tells the same story that is told about Bill as the extreme for when everyone first met him, where he shows up with the bottle of Jack Daniels and throws it into the tornado. It's, it's altered to be about mead and, you know, things of the uh, Skyrim nature, but it is the same story. So someone working for Skyrim was a big fan. That is bizarre and awesome. Yeah. Okay, so then moving into our questions. Should this movie have a sequel? No. Perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's go home. Uh, um, so you would agree, Dustin? I don't know. I kind of talked myself into it. Yeah. Writing this little thing. <laughs> but uh, ultimately, no, I because they'll just fuck it up. It, it, it's Can I swear? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. We said that earlier. Mm. Okay. Um, because it just, I think it shouldn't have a sequel for, because of the way movies are made now. Mm. Because, because mm. the practical effects are not going to get but, greenlit because, because of safety laws, you know, for good reasons. But <laughs> I just ultimately can't. Well, but back, back in the day, <laughs> if they made it in 98, yay, mm. nay. I, I say nay. No. I still think nay yeah. because it's it's very clearly like they build to an F five tornado, which the the F five tornado they use in the movie is is by all accounts something that could never exist. It's like a mile wide. That's. Mm-hmm. I, I also agree. Like I think we nailed it. We said what we had to say with Twister. We don't need to go into a sequel. The only reason to do that is to turn it up to ridiculous levels, and just the, the tornado is like. The, you know, it starts the size of Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. and it's like the day after tomorrow, but it's with one tornado. I mean, what do you think of the idea of increasing it to worse weather, like a hurricane or a typhoon? You know? Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. I, I actually considered that direction mm-hmm. with my itch. Yeah, I feel like yes. if you expand it, you just get like Armageddon, Deep Impact, Day After Tomorrow, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. The core? No one ever mentions the You need the your core. niche of tornadoes. <laughs> Another thing I really like about Twister is that because it's tornadoes, it is really, you know, it's a Midwest movie. It's a Flatlands mm-hmm. movie. You don't get 
yeah. disaster movies that aren't in cities usually. That's something I said. I think it's really interesting how people who grew up in the Midwest and South all just have that like, oh yeah, well, like when the air turns green, like everyone's yeah. like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah, it is. The final question before the pitch is sequel or prequel. What's the sweet spot if you're going to do it? Uh, a prequel would make more sense because you can kind of maybe see how their relationship fell apart, like just emotionalized. Yeah, I do have lots um, of questions about that. Yeah. yeah. You would also get to see that uh, butt naked Bill tossing the bottle <laughs> into the tornado. Ugh. That's true. That's the true. implication of that scene, everyone was so... I mean, it makes sense to appeal to someone like Dusty, who really is just... Burn. seems like a, a, a mess of a man... The type of guy who gets in the face of a total stranger and says, suck zone. The idea of anyone getting in the way of your of your weather research naked, a man driving in, getting out of a car naked with a bottle of Jack Daniels and throwing it at the tornado. I wouldn't think that guy's extreme. I would think, oh, my God, we have to help that crazy man. Huh. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll tell you what, Paul, just occurred to me that it should have been a prequel. What I wrote down is a sequel. Okay. And I, I second that thought. I think prequel would make more sense, but I did not do a prequel. Okay. I mean, yeah, I would also... Ditto. Here. Yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> we all agree, and yet none of us will pay it off. <laughs> well, when you guys hear my, uh, when you hear my sequel pitch, I, I think we'll be in unanimous agreement. It was the way to go. Okay. Well, then let's start with you, shall we? You guys got to get some new stories. Yeah. Um, so this is... Uh, hopefully, this would have come out in uh, summer of 1998, uh, and we're going full-tilt comedy with this one, guys. Okay. We're going to have some fun. Mm. All right? Bill and Joe are going on their honeymoon. They want to get mm. as far away from an environment like Tornado Alley as possible. That means sandy beaches, blue water, and relaxing music. But they weren't expecting troubled waters this early in the marriage. Everyone mm. in the resort turns to their resident storm experts when the bad weather acts up, and on the horizon, on the water, is a series of water spouts. Water cyclones, guys. Just like Speed 2 went to the water, Twister mm. 2 is a twister in the mist. Is that what it's yeah. called? No. no. You'll get to the top, friend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, everyone's kind of turning them back to, like, reluctant leaders. They don't really want to, you know, they don't want to be in charge of the the weather at this resort on their honeymoon with this bumbling comedic all-star cast, which includes Peter Stromer as head of the kitchen. We're just going to go to that classic grumpy kitchen guy. Wow. Um, and I'm so glad you said Scott Thompson earlier, because the entire, all six kids in the hall are going to be the maid service at the resort. So we're just going to get some <laughs> their personalities bouncing off of it's, it's not just like one big tornado like last time, right, guys? It's a bunch of deadly water spouts coming to attack the, attack the resort. So they have to figure out a way to stop these water spouts to save the resort, to save their honeymoon. God, maybe to save their marriage. So what they do is they have to rig up all of the um, industrial washing machines in the, in the resort to spin the opposite direction as this water spouts. So when the water spouts take them up, it undoes the velocity, okay? And just like Dorothy got sucked up by a tornado to understand it, what's the enemy of a water spout maybe in the Oz universe? The Wicked Witch. So these, these water spout destroying devices are called Wicked Witches. Um, and they all get, you know, they all get pushed out in a perimeter. Water spout picks them up. And of course, they save the day. 
do we see Bill and Joe invent these machines live, like in real time? Like, because it sounds like they're not expecting this to happen and then they're needed. So they're also, of course, going to be making some satellite link up calls to some some familiar faces back home, depending mm-hmm. on whose contact we can we can get, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like that, that scene at the end of Galaxy Quest, you know, with the they're trying to figure out how to get into the protector, but it's going to be with building yeah. wicked witches. So this summer, strap on a life vest for protection from Tahiti Twister. <laughs> oh wow! Definitely worked backwards from the title. That's that's a strong start. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Does anyone want to go next? I'll go next. I can't compete with this. I don't even know where to start. Okay, I'm going to start with the title, and I have a tagline to set the mood. Whew, I got a little nervous all of a sudden, sorry. That's because you're following me. Okay, <laughs> so the title is Twister 2, Twistier. <laughs> and the tagline is Nature's a Mother. The synopsis is, Twister is back, and this time, it's for revenge. (laughs) Enraged at the invasion of privacy that the censors from Dorothy 4 caused, Twister is dead set on making our beloved team of storm chasers pay, and more specifically, Joe. Joe had always irrationally suspected tornadoes had it out for her, and her suspicions are proven correct when when Bill, her ex and also present husband, is killed during one of their tornado Whoa. chases. When you told me last night, I didn't catch the line, her ex and also <laughs> present husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when at Bill's funeral, another tornado flares up and claims a number more of her co-chasers who were attending oh the Oh my wake. god. Some of them and proceed to flee, but are then picked off by the turbulent weather one by one as the film goes on until finally Joe is the last woman standing and is forced to face down Twister alone and once and for all. She displays great feats of heroism and bravery, but ultimately is also claimed by the storm because, well, of course, you can't fight a Twister. Holy cow. Yeah, I I really feel, I mean, I know Lauren wrote it, but I feel responsible for wanting people to die. (laughs) They all die. (laughs) (laughs) I just kept, like, rubbing my hands together. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love that the tornado is named Twister. In this, <laughs> I went full on sci-fi, sci-fi horror. <laughs> uh, amazing, Dustin. I'm gonna go next. Okay. So you're, oh, you're okay. Okay. caboose. Uh, I feel like mine's too long. Well, I th- yeah. Wait for Paul. That was, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let me enlighten you, people. This time around, this is my second viewing of the film, um, and. The first time I was just sort of blown away by the uh, audacity of the plot and what happens with the marriage and and all that kind of thing. But this time I had a different reading. I I remember the first time through thinking that they just kind of throw Joe under the bus a little bit by making Bill do all the heroic stuff. And Joe is just kind of this liability who keeps walking towards the tornadoes. Liability only. But I, I, I had a different reading this time because the premise that we're told to accept at the end is that Joe knew what she was doing with all this. I mean, I know that we knew what she was doing by bringing him there during the storms to get to see Dorothy fly instead of signing the divorce papers, blah, 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 blah. But that line that Bill says at the end where he's like, you have to go about everything the hard way. 
implies that it's like, this is just kind of how she does everything. You know, she, again, I bring it back to them being addicts, them being junkies. And this being about Joe bringing Bill back to get that high again and ditch his happy, peaceful life for the sake of their drug, so to speak. So two years later, Bill comes to visit Melissa at her job. Melissa, the Jamie Gertz character, the therapist. She's surprised but happy to see him. They have dinner and catch up. Turns out she's married now to an FBI agent who I have down as Matt Dillon. Bill admits that a part of him hoped that she'd be single, but he mostly came to apologize for how things ended between them. He is in recovery, you see, from his time with Joe. After the events of the first film, her thrill-seeking ways became even too extreme for the extreme. He kept up for a while, but when it eventually became clear that it was too much for him and would never be enough for her. So now he's back to being a weatherman, and he's happy enough on his own. So we'll get to see him do some weathermanning, which I think will be fun. So Melissa, uh, they have their dinner. He sort of explains where he's at. Melissa drops him off at his motel, and the two of them make plans to see each other again before uh, he leaves town. That night, however, Joe shows up at Bill's motel room with a gun. She's gone over the edge in her mania and will not leave without him. When he tries to get by her, she shoots him in the shoulder to show that she's serious and then takes him hostage in her car. What follows is a road trip movie involving Joe trying to make Bill love her again while they make their way to the ultimate destination of an approaching hurricane, supposed to be massive, biggest on record, blah, blah, blah. And the implication is that Joe is going to give herself to the hurricane. Bill sets about trying to convince her not to um, without giving in to, you know, her want for them to be together. When Bill misses the rendezvous with Melissa, she makes her way back to this motel and finds the crime scene where the gunshot happened and all that stuff, just as it was left. So then she gets her FBI bow involved, and the two of them set off in search of the fugitive Joe and her hostage, Bill. Because he is a beloved weatherman, it quickly becomes a big news story, making things even more difficult for Joe to navigate. She also appears to be on some kind of mission to do all the high-adrenaline things that she never has, because this is her last hurrah, including, at one point, to rob a bank with the reluctant help of Bill. So they're becoming like an uneasy Bonnie and Clyde, almost. The wild ride goes on with a few high-speed car chases and ups and downs for Bill and Joe's relationship as Bill finds himself unable to deny that he, too, loves the rush that comes when they're together. It all climaxes with Bill being rescued, but maneuvering things so that he helps Joe get away in the process. And then at the very end, Joe stands on the precipice of the approaching hurricane alone. Until Bill joins her, and they're ultimately taken by it together. I call this Twister 2, Hurricane Joe. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Okay. okay. Cool. I also, the, my one addition that I wanted to just say is there is a scene somewhere in there, I didn't know quite where to put it, before the kidnapping becomes like a, a story, a new story, where Bill and Joe dine with the old, they have a meal with the old Storm Chaser crew. Mm. Uh, and what should be a good time is actually a super tense situation in which Bill is trying to signal to the others the danger that he's in without tipping Joe off to it. So mm. that's it. Oh. 
I really like I really like Helen Hunt in um, Twister a lot. So I'm intrigued to see that direction for her character. Um, I'd like to pitch an alternate title. I don't know if this is going to hit with anyone. I might make an ass of myself here, but play Twisty for me. Ooh, no. yeah, I get it. You get That's it. Good. Clint Eastwood Jessica yeah. Walter movie called Play Misty for me, where she is like an obsessed fan. Ah. Pursuing him and stuff. And cool, cool. <laughs> I'm certainly not anti Helen Hunt's performance in Twister, but I will say that that character is emotionally a wreck. Like she doesn't deal right. with things well or like a normal person. She's pretty intense. She doesn't mm. directly address things. You know, like even when Jamie Gertz is like, "Are you still in love with him?" She just says essentially nothing. Um, and also, so anyways, is convinced that weather has an agenda against her. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a little she's a little wacko. And I you know, that's clearly what broke them up in the first place. So anyways, I maybe I pushed it a little far, but I, I yeah, no, I, I that's interesting. Because I, I did this time, I was like, they're just adrenaline junkies. They're not even like chasing tornadoes, they're just being ridiculous. So that yeah that tracks. All right, Dusty, bring us home. <clears throat> Tighten your seatbelt. I went with the the 2020 version. This is this is All happening right. now. Mm. So, um, so no what I've got is no Hoffman either. We open up the movie out the gate uh, with a a new team of young storm chasers, but this it's only about three people because they've dialed it in at this point, and they're in one of those. If you guys have seen like the newer storm chasing vehicles, they're like tanks. They're like actual tanks. So they're <laughs> in these tank things, and uh, and they're and they're putting themselves in position in front of a. a a twister. One of the young storm chasers is a precocious blonde woman who looks just a tad familiar. The vehicle maneuvers into place. It has these like fancy drill arm things that come out and anchor it into the ground and they're ready. They're going to let the twister run right over them and they begin the launch sequence for Dorothy, the newest version of Dorothy. This is like Dorothy 17. Hatch on top of the vehicle opens and this thing literally launches like rocket powered out into the tornado. The takeaway from this whole scene is that this is now routine. This is what these guys do. They go out and they launch Dorothy's every summer. Scene ends with uh, <laughs> young buck storm chasers radioing back to the lab. On the other end, Joe Harding uh, commends the team on a job well done, tells them to pack it in and head home. Uh, later, Joe arrives home. Seems these days she keeps fairly normal hours. See, I, I, <laughs> I dialed back her. <laughs> I went. She she had her thing. She had her fun, and now she's you know she's just running a lab. Okay. Nice. Uh, in her home, the camera tracks across the console table, and and we see photos of of both Bill and Dusty. Um, oh. To the surprise of the audience, Joe does not live alone. Entering the kitchen, we see Robert Rabbit Nurick, Alan <gasps> Rock's character, Ooh. putting the finishing touches on a nice dinner. The two oh. exchange pleasantries. And sit down. Just as Rabbit sets a third place at the table, the young woman from the first scene enters the home. Billy Harding. Bill and Joe's daughter. Oh. She never met her father. He was killed in 1998 by an F5 tornado while Joe was pregnant. Oh. It's revealed that the same storm took Dusty. Whoa. It was a very bad year. Anyway, dinner is cut short when Joe receives a phone call. She's needed in Bangladesh. Which... Mm -hmm apparently has uh, the the most destructive or the highest death toll tornado on record. It's a pretty active zone and also just has buildings that like to get crushed. 
Uh, so as she gets a call from Bangladesh, they're experiencing a more violent season than the previous year, which we come to find everyone is, thanks to global warming. Mm. Mm. Joe immediately swings into action mode, packs her bags, starts spouting ideas specific to Bangladesh's topography and mountains sure. and their warning system capabilities. Billy, her daughter, interrupts her to protest. You haven't changed at all, have you? <laughs> You're just going to run off and get killed like dad? Oh. You run the lab. You don't need to be out in the field doing this. Joe disagrees. The situation is too dire in Bangladesh mm. and too unique for anyone but her to be running the team on the ground. Besides, she says, you're coming with me before heading to the door. Crazy. Well, where are you going now? <laughs> she says, we need a team, one with experience. Oh, nice. So that leads to the rounding up of the crew. Yeah. Scene. We, I, I brought the whole gang back. I went with. Everybody, everybody from the original. Yeah, why not? Had better do it. Yeah. Um, I've got Belzer and Haynes as a Hollywood writer director, uh, disaster film duo. Oh, sick. Uh, this is based on Are a little bit on the fact that uh, Todd Fields, the guy who plays Belzer, is a director. Nice. Uh, oh. uh, I've got Lawrence, the Jeremy Davies character, as a, a meteorology professor. I've got Preacher as a preacher. <laughs> And uh, Joey and Sanders, I don't know. They do something. Probably not storm related, but they're down. Sure. They're, uh, they're pizza men. They're, yes. <laughs> pizza men. Pizza men. Yeah. Pizza men's pizza. <laughs> anyway, so this whole gang gets on a boat. They load it up with all their new gear. They've got the tank vehicle. They've got other new cool tech that we'll spend way too much time going over and explaining <laughs> just what it can do and how it can survive storms. Uh, they land in Bangladesh and basically the, you know, that's where we just go and, and let the, let the, the twisters story yeah. run its course, <laughs> ever increasing in size, sure. um, and ever destructive. And the, the sort of heartstrings of this one is the slum like condi conditions of the crowded and weakly built villages mm. in rural Bangladesh. Um, this all leads to, a, a just a full it's just an f5 that that dwarfs the f5 at the beginning of the first movie and it, and it causes incomprehensible damage and costs thousands of lives and and this leads to to joe testifying at i don't know maybe the bangladesh government or maybe the un or something about how we need to we need to get this this early warning technology that we've developed in the u.s out to the rest of the world to rural locations and 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 save more lives and and simultaneously there's a there's a pretty strong stop global warming uh thread throughout yeah the, throughout the film oh what's the title uh twister 2 global warming oh sick that's that's sick no that's great global warning that's really good global oh, warning he said warming Thank you. but warning is the that's the move yeah that's the move doesn't uh, you have a um do you have an actress in mind for Billy? Oh, I don't. I don't. Mm. I, I, mm. I always thought that Lily Lili Sobieski looked Ooh, a lot like... That is on the I, nose. That is... Does that age, age difference lineup? No. Um, oh, wow. I, I just, wait, wait, wait. I just wait, wait. To be Bill and Joe's daughter? Sure it does. She's 37. Oh, never mind. How, uh -huh. well, how, long, yeah, but how long ago was 1996? Right. <laughs> You know what? Worst things have been done. Uh, Josh Brolin playing 20-year-old Tommy Lee Jones. 
you know, that's true. That happened. <laughs> Agreed. I'm not. I'm not against it. I'm just pointing out some math. Well, if anybody has anything better, feel free to suggest it. I do have one other question, uh, Dustin. Who lives and who dies? Well, it's a Twister movie, so everybody lives. (laughs) Okay. All right. Only the uh, uh, poor uh, uh, inhabitants of Bangladesh Bangladesh. die by the thousands. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. That tracks. I got to tell you, I would watch and love that movie. I, I like that as a message. Oh, oh, I, the, 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 what I forgot to mention, of course, was Rabbit is the only member of their team who actually does not go with them. He stays back to take Joe's place running the lab. Oh. And that's explained with with some quip about how, you know, Google Maps. He's not necessary anymore. Well, nice. Aww. That's fun. I will. I also I like that they're together because, you know, if you're not going to have Bill, they do have a wonderful rapport. She, you know, they interact the most yes. of any of the team in the movie. And it, and, and he's got a good rapport with, with Aunt Meg. That's true. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's important to her. Cause I, that's, is it, is it implied that Aunt Meg raised her? After, well, I don't know. Her mom was around after the storm. Yeah. I think oh, that's yeah. Right, right. But yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a good question. Maybe it was a dark turn where her mom went insane after watching her husband be sucked up and Jesus Christ. Or maybe her mom asked her sister to move in with her and help oh, raise the okay. children and no women have to go insane. <laughs> All right. All right. Well I see what vote I'm not getting. But <laughs> that one thing. All right. Well, before rather than try to make the voting work first, can everybody um one at a time, just sort of say what they're leaning towards, and maybe we can find out what our answer is there. I, I'm going to be a bit of a bummer and say I'm voting for everyone's. I th- I would like to see each and every I one would, of these movies. I was going to say that too. I, I like I like all the things. <laughs> all right, including myself. I can I can get a little more ruthless in the name of advancement, but I would like a, a blanket statement to be said that I enjoyed all these pitches. I also enjoyed all these pitches. Uh, uh, for varying reasons. I'm a little bit more of a stickler when it comes to ultimate sequel. And Lauren, while yours appealed to me in the sense that it killed everybody versus <laughs> killed nobody, I I would still say that my votes go to m- myself and Dustin. So sorry. Love you guys. I see, I see. So just to be clear, you wanted to go out of your way to say that while you're voting for only two of them, mm-hmm. you did like only Lawrence. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. Sorry, Travis. I also <laughs> very much liked yours. I just, that was the reason I preface it with the stickler comment is that changing it, the genre to broad comedy is the type of jump I'm not comfortable with, with this franchise, even though I, I loved it. it, even though I loved it. Yeah, obviously the best praise comes on the back end of a request. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Dustin, any favorite? What, so, so how many votes do I get? How does you this get you can vote as many times as you want. You can vote for as many pitches as you liked. You know. Well, then I'm I'm with Travis. Everybody wins. They were oh. all. Everybody had a, a great, unique take on this. I would I would love to see. The, the washing machine comedy version of Twister. I really would. <laughs> I'm going to vote harder just for the sake of uh, of making this work, and I'm going to go with uh, with Twister Two Global Warning. 
Stop living in the past and look at what you got right in front of you. And he's the only, uh, I guess, proper sequel. Congratulations, Dustin. I'm honored. I'm honored. The audience is probably leaning towards Tahiti Twister, though. The only fun fact, I didn't do any fun facts, so well, but uh, the only one that I think is fun enough to jam in here, if I can, is that uh, Twister was notorious for destroying surround speakers in movie theaters in the U.S. and uh. worldwide. And as an addition to that fact, Jan de Bont would send a note with the film that, like, he, he included a suggestion oh, yeah. to turn the speakers up no louder than they normally would be. His, <laughs> his destructive reach went beyond the yeah. set. <laughs> this guy, I gotta, t I mean, I, I, there's one movie that he's directed that I have not seen, and I, and we have to do it on the show because it's a bad sequel, Speed 2 Cruise Control. And you haven't seen No, I have not. No, I have not. And wow. that wow. will complete my Jan de Bont filmography um, as far as a director goes. So uh, it must be done. Anyway, uh, let's do Unsung Heroes. Hit it, Paul Jr. Unsung Heroes! These are characters in the movie that are smaller, uh, you know, actors with smaller parts that really helped uh, push the quality of the film across the finish line. I always forget to look for this, but I actually remembered I liked I liked her the drive-in uh, waitress lady. Whenever Joe asks for eight coffees, yeah. and she's like eight. <laughs> yeah. eight? Uh, yeah, I've got it. There's a guy in this film who has always I've, I've just always thought about this guy, and it's and it's it, when they pull into the service station. Uh, beginning after he gets run off after Bill's run off the road by Jonas's team and he's getting his tire fixed and he and he hands it off to this guy and he says how long do you think it's going to take to get fixed and the guy goes oh maybe 10 minutes 15 tops and I've just yeah. always thought about how many times that guy probably ran that line yeah being so excited <laughs> I bet he's from Kansas or Oklahoma you know this big movie rolls in and, and this was his oh he killed it chance. And he killed and I, it. Yeah. yeah, I took took note of that moment for sure. It's as, it's almost like he is a uh, uh, honorary member of the team because he's got to get him back on the road. Exactly. That moment he's a vital, stood out. He's the most vital part yeah. at that moment. Yeah, that moment stood out to me because Bill got pushed off the road and ran over a number of very large metal things, um, but the only real. thing his car could repair on was the tire. It's a new truck, it, Lauren. I it's. I eventually changed my tune on this, but for the but for the first half of the movie, I was so frustrated with his driving and the fact that he always insisted on driving because Joe would say she would like to drive and he kept screwing up. So I was like, let Joe drive. Let's see that. You know, let's see it. Yeah. Um, but then about the second half of the movie, I felt like their driving seemed pretty equal. As they became less turbulent. The driving became smoother. Mm. Wow. What a movie. What a what? film. Astute analysis. Well, what a screenplay. <laughs> the the film was also obviously a, an ad for the for the brand new Dodge Ram truck sure. in ninety six. <laughs> and you'll notice that thing does not get damaged at all besides the tire. Well, and then when it when the when it gets sucked up in mass yeah, yeah. into the tornado. But <laughs> But for all we know, it came down in one piece. Uh, <laughs> right, not a yeah. Yeah. Sparkling <laughs> clean. <laughs> The tornado just gave it a wash. <laughs> the 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 other uns there's a couple I wrote down, but I'm, the one unsung hero I'm going to go with that hasn't been mentioned yet is 
the woman who is at the NSSL, the National Storm Service Laboratory, who start basically starts the movie. I mean, you, you see the bad satellite, then it cuts to them at the station, and then the guy says, oh, look at the storm system, blah, 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 blah. And she says, this is going to be a long day. And then she takes a slurp of her huge coffee cup. And I was just like, I'm in. Yeah. yeah. And coffee is very plays a very key role throughout the film. Although I think that was tea. I think there was a tea bag in there. But either way. Mm. Well, she's she's pretty intense. That was coffee with the tea bag steeping, because yeah. she's gotta focus. <laughs> and I did get a name on her character. Her character's name is Grace, if anybody is interested. So uh Interesting. I knew that her partner was named Murphy, because she says that in the film, but I don't know that they say her. So name. the next time you see her which is, I think, the only other scene where she and Murphy have dialogue. Somebody says, Grace, get, come here. You know, look at this. Look at this screen. Look at this dop. Did you guys word. notice that Jonas's team includes both a, a guy named Stanley and a guy named Kubrick? I did. Oh. Well, and The Shining's in there, too. I guess Jan mm-hmm. gave it up to Stanley. Another another director who beat the shit out of his acting. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe that's where Jan got it. Like, he, he he worked on Roar. He heard about Stanley, and he was just like, "This is how it has to be done." Pain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no game. Guys, I am really happy with the results of of today, and I hope I hope you all had fun, Dustin. I this was a good one. Yeah, very very good. I I was so glad to have this conversation. Thank you for inviting me to the table. Uh, yeah. Okay, so before we wrap it up, any um, plugs that anybody has? Uh, yeah, actually, I will go ahead and re-plug our, our other, my other podcast, Theater of Tomorrow, Theater with an R-E, and The Hotel, uh, which we haven't really produced anything new from since last October, but we are uh, gearing up to start producing and releasing those uh, again in earnest. Um, That's exciting. Yeah, so if you're listening to this, get on to that, and more of that will be coming. I have an Etsy shop, Pop That Funko, and I do custom Funkos, and people are noticing them a bit more and liking them, and I do, I take requests, so if there's a Funko you want. Nice, I'm very, I'm very excited by this. Could you, could you do a, a, a Bill Harding? Ooh. Uh, Bill Harding. Pack. A movie twister. Oh, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, I could. What you have to do is you have to start with a Tom Hanks Funko. <laughs> well, <laughs> pick the shirt. I mean, <laughs> du- <laughs> Dustin, uh, uh, you got to hit up the Etsy shop to get that done proper. So pop that Funko yeah. at Etsy. I have no creative endeavors. I'm in it for the money, not the science. So. <laughs> hey All right. Well, that's an excellent, uh, that's an excellent transition to uh, saying goodbye to our, I'm just, you know what? I'm settling on this episode. This is a great episode because we have Dustin here. Let's call our listeners uppers and downers. Is everybody comfortable with that? That works. Dibs on being a downer. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I wouldn't have needed your dibs. <laughs> Follow-up showdown. Welcome to the continuation celebration on 2017's Blade Runner 2049. Uh, Deckard lives in this terrifying casino. Oh, sweet hotel, terrifying casino. However, (laughs) you (laughs) I mean, it sounds cool.